Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 345, Living on a Prayer. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. How goes it, boys? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Still dipping in my to- my toes into the world of conspiracy theories and uh, might be upgrading our Twitter feuds. I might be going from former backup Premier League goalkeepers to the most famous NBA player in the world. So in wow. in light of... Okay. Care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, it's oh, oh, and on to the uh, NFL picks. Scene. <laughs> and scene, and we're done. That's enough. Uh, well, in light of two, and not to not to make light of this particular situation, but two people collapsing this evening during the Premier League fixtures. Obviously, we not to give them thoughts and prayers. I'm not into that, but let's hope that they're okay. Uh, the conspiracy theory world is taking off on. This never used to happen, right? People never used to collapse. And all of a sudden, everyone's getting this vaccine that we push through really quickly, and people are collapsing at football grounds now. And it looks as if we can throw LeBron James into that group because he tweeted out an emoji, like the thinking emoji, you know, the hand on chin emoji, followed by something is real fish, fish, fish on a hook, fish, fish going on which I assume he meant to write something real fishy is going on. But yeah, now there is a possibility that he tweeted that and it has nothing to do with these people collapsing. But if you look at the thread, everyone is assuming that he is putting himself slightly into the vaccine skeptic camp. So what happened tonight was that someone at the Watford... Chelsea game had a cardiac arrest so that was delayed by half an hour um the the person's stabilized now and is all good well all good at least they're stabilized and the other one was Leicester Southampton where it was delayed by 15 minutes because of someone taking ill but uh, look more people have been dropping because of cardiac arrest and heart conditions in soccer right so I guess the well, that actually, I guess the idea- that I will dispute because that's the debate I got into a few days ago. I think, obviously, we had Ed Christian Eriksen as the most high-profile uh, version of this, but it's something that we've seen. I mean, obviously, you've had Fabrice Mwamba ages ago, and basically, if you look through certainly the number, the number of pro- professional football players around the world who have serious cardiac incidents, either whilst playing, whilst training, or just after either of those things, Yes, in the past two years, it's on the high side, but you can find other two-year periods that are comparable. So you would imagine that if you just group this information, it fluctuates pretty considerably from year to year, where some years it's 15 and some years it's two. But if you do break it into five-year periods, it's pretty consistent. And obviously, if this is a trend that doesn't stop, then maybe something you could attribute it either to I don't know, people having had COVID and the long-term impacts of COVID is one possible. I mean, I'm always, I'm always fascinated that people leap immediately to the conspiracy side of things and not 
well, maybe people are having a higher rate of cardiac sort of incidence because there is a long-term effect of having, having just had a very serious virus or from sitting around from two, for two years and not really doing anything and now you're getting out and about and maybe you're not either in as good of a shape as you were or an incident that would have happened in previous years is now happening. They're kind of being piled together because people weren't being active or putting them in situations where this kind of thing could have happened. But yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's true because you figure what I think more recent estimates, at least for America is that almost 20% of the population has had COVID, you know, whether it's asymptomatic or symptomatic and about what 40% have the vaccine. So it's not that much more that I've had the vaccine that have actually probably had COVID. But I wonder going along these same lines, following up kind of with the crowd, if getting the vaccine makes you more angry and aggressive, because the past year, I feel like there are a way higher amount of videos circulating with just brawls at NFL games week in and week out now you just see people getting thrown 20 rows down and just people getting knocked out cold like in their seats in the tunnels it's every week now there's three or four massive fights at every stadium it's crazy i mean i think an element of that is people have been we're locked inside and we kind of forgotten how to interact with each other and people <laughs> yeah. just become so we just resort to violence which people have become less tolerant <laughs> i mean I, I i felt that in moments within myself where things that would have only frustrated me mildly before now, because you haven't less tolerant. I didn't think there was a lesser to get there. Well, <laughs> I mean, is that neg- is that negative tolerant? Yeah. I guess intolerant. So I know before, it's intolerant. Before you even, but like, before before you even, you even see open them. your mouth, it just hits you now, Eddie. Oh, I won't rule. You just walk up to Eddie, socks you in the face. I won't rule out the fact that there have been many times where I've been annoyed by people well before they've opened their mouths that happened pre-pandemic as well that isn't that isn't a new development but no i just think you know you you kind of you know you we lived in these isolated bubbles and you know you you kind of get used to all of these little annoyances in life and then you had 12 to 24 months where you didn't have to really deal with them and now you're back in and so whereas you had years to get used to the fact that People walk slowly. People get in your way. People take too long to order. People are annoying. And now all of a sudden, it's kind of all around you. And you just get a little bit overwhelmed by it. And you're just not as, you know, your skills aren't there anymore to either deal with the frustration or walk away or whatever it is. I'm not saying I'm going and beating people up at stadiums, but I can understand how there is an increase in these kind of reactions people's tolerance of alcohol has probably plummeted as well, right? In social scenarios. So all of a sudden, no, you get I like thought four people, or five guys go into a game. I thought there were people who had become more, there have been more alcoholics during the pandemic. Oh, well, because they pour their own drinks at home and they basically just Yeah, they were just sitting smashed. home drinking every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's more the social element of drinking, right? Is that, you're, you know, that momentum of constantly drinking and then, you know, staying out in bars till like 3, 4 a.m., like allowing yourself to get more carried away, I guess. I guess that's something that's happening. Yeah, so actually, the other thing that's definitely spiked in America this year, which probably has nothing COVID-related, is gambling on sports because now every every state has been legalizing it and now every week you see more and more 
like Bleacher Report will post these crazy bets people make that win and you get to see the reactions because they film it live. And it, some of them are funny, some of them are annoying. But there was one I want to bring up that just happened for the Monday night game that was Seattle and Washington. Uh, so this person had Gerald Everett to score first, the tight end for the Seahawks, and the first half to end in a tie. So he had $10 on it to win 1500 Now, first off, the first part was Washington had the ball, I think, first and goal on the four and ended up having to settle for a field goal. So he escaped that, and then Seattle got the ball, drove down the field, and scored with a pass to Everett. So he had that part. But what then happened was at the end of the first half with basically no time left, Washington scores the touchdown to go up 9-7 and kicks the extra point, but it gets blocked and Seattle returns it back for two points to tie the game 9-9. How... I mean, the roller coaster of emotions there must have been crazy. Oh. Thinking that you've they've scored, you're done, ah, shit, and then seeing it get blocked but, and seeing a 300 pound lineman pick the ball up see, and being like, "Why is he running? Why is he running?" and him scoring is crazy. Well, <laughs> see, I'm going to disagree. I'm not to rain on that particular parade, but he, I don't think there is a roller coaster of emotions there because he basically never looked like that it was going to win, and then it won. Like there was no, there was no moment. Well, maybe not roller coaster, but maybe maybe zero to a hundred very quickly. But because once Washington scores, you figure, oh, this is definitely over. But also, we're talking about what? What did you say? Fifteen hundred dollars? Yeah. I mean, cool. And I'm not saying I turn my nose up at the fifteen hundred dollars, and that's a cool win. I would get excited about it. But I mean, in in comparison, not to not to outdo you on the random bets that have won this week. <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> You're shitting on the bet and bringing up your. No, bet. no, no. This is not mine. This is not mine. Um, but if if this had been my bet, I might not be here this week. But um, I I don't know if you saw that someone online at William Hill placed a seven pound accumulator on the on the horse racing yes. at um subtle or southwell depending on how you like to pronounce it uh on wednesday i think it was so i don't know what combination he did whether it was a yankee or or whatever sort of what series combination of bets it was but he picked he did every race on the card he did in the first race a horse at 25 to 1 second race a horse at 8 to 1 so the those first two won the third race, he had a silver star at 100 to 1. That lost. Then Stun Sail at 25 to 1. That lost. Then he had Alchemistique at 150 to 1. That won. Then he had uh, Radetzky March at 25 to 1, which lost. And then the final race of the day, he had Irish Sovereign at 66 to 1, which won. And that meant that his combination, his seven pounds done in various permutations, returned 281,000 pounds. So Have you seen that's a roller coaster of emotion, Frank. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. How do that many long odd horses? Is, well, it jumps, I guess, a little bit, but still, it's still it's crazy. It's unusual, and uh, 
and and I mean I watched one of those races, Alchemistique, which is which is the one that won at 150 to one. It flew home from well off the pace. I mean, it was miles back going over the link in the final furlong and looked like it had no chance of winning and then absolutely flew home. So, so yeah, his total winnings were 281,246 pounds and 23 P. And he has said that he plans to venture into racehorse ownership on the back of this win, but not before a well-deserved dream holiday. He said, I've, I've always said that I, that if I were to win big, then I'd like to invest in a proper racehorse. So now that now's my chance. I'd like a nice jumps horse, maybe in training with Donald McCain. So he's, he's got ambitions, this man. And, uh, as he's quite local and the next dream would be to win the grand national. (laughs) Now, I mean, (laughs) look, fair play. He's turned, he's turned seven pounds into 280,000. So who am I to tell him that he shouldn't, he shouldn't dream big, but (laughs) now he's going to turn it into a grand national winning horse. (laughs) And it's true in jumps, right? You've got a better chance of a, you know, a big racehorse purchase in jumps can be a lot less. It doesn't have to be, but we are talking about a world where John Bon, which is the most expensive horse racing this year, I think was bought for around 480,000 pounds. So you are dealing with, but it's true that the average price, original purchase price of a, of a horse that runs in the Grand National is probably in the, you know, probably in five figures. So he could, if he decided to invest 50,000 pounds, have a chance. Yeah, and John Bond looks great, man. That horse is living on a prayer. Speaking of things, uh, well, well, because I, I got a trend. To... I've got a transition. <laughs> I don't know how okay. dark you're. I was gonna say I don't, I don't know how I don't know how you spin wanted dead or alive into that. So I went with living on a prayer. <laughs> well, I've got a little bit of a transition because uh, speaking of living on a prayer, wanted dead or alive. I don't know, even probably dead on arrival at this point i think uh it's time maybe we just take a a quick moment of silence i thought it only fitting to play taps for you frank because your nfl predictions have <laughs> just tanked in a way I didn't think was possible. Yeah, this is this is why when you analyze things, you don't do a four week window. You you do a whole season's worth of analysis because I am coming back to the mean hard. <laughs> yeah, your 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 against the spread record over the course of this season is why COVID's. Va- you know, vaccine skeptics need to look at the bigger picture and not just the last few months. Because, yeah, after such a hot start, things have taken a turn very much for the worse for you. I mean, it was unimaginable a few weeks ago to think that either Sam or I would catch you. And I think at this point we both have. <laughs> it has been a very quick turnaround. So, on that note, I guess I will just sum up. Skip. We don't necessarily have to go. Skip. We don't necessarily have to go immediately on to our uh, to our NFL predictions for this week. But last week, 
oh, this is not, not, I mean, it's not amazing reading for any of us, but it's definitely not good reading for you. Moneyline. I went nine and six. Sam, you went six and nine. Frank, you went five and 11. Against the spread, I went eight and seven. Sam, you went five and 11. Frank, you went four and 12. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, that's a new low because over the past couple of weeks, it's been floating at like the the five. Oh, actually, I should correct that. It's There were 15 games. So you went five and 10, Sam. Frank, you went four and 11. And yeah, that is a new low. So if we go back in time slightly, there was, if we go back, um, I think it's now four weeks. Four weeks ago, you were 71 and 50 against the spread. You were just coming off a nine and six week. You followed that up with a five and nine week, followed by a five and nine week, followed by a five and 10 week, followed by a four and 11 week. <laughs> uh, see, last year, it was all about me collapsing after like week three and having like a slow demise. This is special, though. This is a fantastic collapse. I will say I got saved by Washington. Final game there, right? Because otherwise, the other way around, I would have been the 4-11. and 11. Yeah, I mean, I'm Frank, you got any thoughts for us? Or you're just going to sit pensively? <laughs> I, I choose not to speak. <laughs> I will let my picks this week do the speaking for me. As I go oh, two and thirteen, that, is, are you sure that's are you I, sure yeah, that's why? I don't think you want to do that. So it does mean that uh, now we are looking at a situation where you're still just above five hundred, but we, I mean, Sam is in the lead against the spread. And then you and I are now tied at 90, 89, and 1. So you are just above 500, but only only just. And you're also now uh, seven games behind Moneyline. So that's, you know, with not that many weeks to go, it starts to become a little hard to close a seven-game gap. Considering, for the most part, We've all avoided catastrophic money line predictions. So the best case scenario you can get is maybe a two or three game swing per week, usually. So things are looking a little bleak for you, Frank. And that's not a great way to sort of be the hype man for our selections and encourage listeners to keep keep going as we're about to preview this week's games. But I will say overall, for all three of us to still be above 500, against the spread, having picked every game of the NFL season so far. I think that's pretty good. It's better than you'll get almost anywhere else. And then our money line predictions are right up there with all of those so-called experts at CBS or Fox or ESPN. Yeah, and also I did a bit of kind of, when we've been talking about kind of teams either kind of playing at a ceiling or like a really low mark. I was looking at some of the stats into like underdog wins and um, they were eight and seven against the spread last week. And it's the fourth week out of five where the underdogs have posted a highest um, against the spread kind of victory. 
But also, um, there's been 73 underdog wins money line in the 12 weeks that we've gone through the NFL. So it kind of gets that sensation that there's very few safe bets within even kind of simple money line, let alone the against the spread, which the underdogs seem to be doing pretty well with. Um, so the fact that we're all kind of on top of that over 500 line kind of makes it this season kind of feel even more impressive. I think Frank's gone into a coma. Like I said, I will have my picks do the talking this week. Alec, Alec Baldwin got to him, Eddie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, he's on a cold streak. He had a cold gun. Kind of fair. I did not. I did not make these picks. These picks made themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that live pick uh, got on set. I mean, I mean, it is true, Sam. Frank does live at a institute of learning in the desert, so he's both at risk of coming across Alec Baldwin filming a a Western and just a normal school shooter. So he is right in the danger zone right now. Yeah. I'm actually 15 minutes away from old Tucson where they used to film all the Westerns back in the day. Have you visited? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what is it just, was it specifically created as a film set or it was an old no, town that they then maintained? It's, it's like an entire film set town almost and then they would kind of just change the facades for different movies but there's been a lot of movies that have filmed there most notably tombstone um i'm pretty sure it was filmed partly there but a lot of uh like uh older older westerns were all filmed there like all the john waynes and stuff i mean you know i'm, I'm a huge western fan two two types of movies i love westerns and pirates i mean in some respects you know, cowboys were just the pirates of the U.S., but well, and you should come visit, and you could you can <laughs> yeah, go to a, old Tucson. That's a French <laughs> uh, old Tucson. That's the that's that's the pirate. That's the franchise I should start. Pirates of the old west, and then just have get Johnny Depp to run around in a cowboy hat and be weird. Take a take a shit on his girlfriend's bed or something, and then we've got wait. Is it we've got wait, Johnny Depp or OBJ? <laughs> No, that was reverse. So, uh, what's her name? What's his ex-wife's name? Who they're constantly suing Sienna each Miller. other? No, <laughs> um, the young one, Amber Heard. <laughs> Amber Heard, because um, you know she was accusing him of being an alcoholic and just having crippling drug use, and the fact that he would sort of have two pints of whiskey for breakfast or something like that, and his the way he smeared her they both guessed literally and figuratively was to say that she had once taken a shit on their bed as a practical joke i think was her excuse which it's a bold practical i mean it's kind of self-destructive for her right (laughs) (laughs) but also just who walks in and just sees i mean who who walks in and sees a massive shit on your own bed and just thinks it's hilarious (laughs) i mean we're all laughing so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think because we're we're removed from the scenario, but also it'd just be weird if you caught them in the act doing it. They're just, like, yeah, just kind of squatting over, over there on bed. Just <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, it will be really funny. Well, in five I'm minutes. totally going to prank you. <laughs> I-, I love just thinking about this. Could just be a like 
a real twisted part of the story where maybe she was really, really sick and had the flu and kind of like shat herself in bed. And then he spins it to be like, oh no, she was shitting on the bed to spite me. <laughs> no, but I think this is the thing. I think he said that would have been the natural excuse. If you had been in her legal team, that's surely the argument you come up with, right? I think, and I might be getting this completely wrong and people might be listening and being very frustrated with this fact. I'm pretty sure he said, hey, you think I'm crazy? She once took a shit on the bed. And her defense was, that was a practical joke. So she had every opportunity, I think, to say, I had a really upset stomach and it was an accident. But instead, her defense was, I was just, I was just horsing around. Well, according to thesun.com, Amber Heard did not poo in Johnny Depp's bed. A judge ruled today saying it was more likely to have been one of the couple's dogs. (laughs) I love a judge. Someone who spent years of their life studying the law, having their career, you know, working their way up. And then at um, some moment in time, they're going to judge whether or not a c-list actress took a shit on someone's bed critical part of the case eddie (laughs) like there there is photo evidence as well to this story what of the really no sam (laughs) (laughs) photo evidence of of him boom you just got punked sam yes of course (laughs) what do you think (laughs) wait so they so they took photos of it then cleaned up According to the photo, the person who posted it said they have two Yorkie dogs and there's no way that this could have been produced by a Yorkie dog. What did she eat? Well, no, I mean, that's not obviously a human, human poop and dog poop. They do not look the same. I could, I don't think this is my specialist subject, but I think... If you invited me onto a game show, I would never get it wrong if that's human or dog. Your mastermind. Your mastermind. Just you sitting in the chair and your specialist subject. Shit comparison. DC shit analysis. (laughs) I love thinking about the fact that you can, in your head, conceive that that could possibly be on a game show. Just shows how imaginative you are, Eddie. (laughs) Don't ever change. Thank you. I take that as a massive compliment. I don't know if it was meant as a, as a dig into my weirdness, but I'll take it as a massive compliment. All right, let's get back on the course here. Week 13 of the NFL. Things yeah. are getting... We're nearing the yeah, end, I was you gonna know. I say, things are getting tight now, especially for the wild card races where you have... I mean, even the Giants at 4-7 and seven have a legitimate chance to still make the wild card. It's crazy to think that. Do they have a legitimate chance? Yeah, they're only two games back. Yeah, but two games back with, what, five games to play? I'm sorry, they're only one game back. Washington right now is five and six in the seventh spot. We can officially now call that a purple patch as well. I mean, that's crazy, right? That's not that I, I understand. You yes. You know, they, they're not a good team and it's not likely they're going to make it, but still to only be one game back <laughs> and still have to play Washington. Yeah. You know, so you, you missed, you missed Sam getting his point in there, by the way, Frank. 
stupid purple patch. <laughs> yeah, I think theoretically they said the only team eliminated so far in the NFC is Detroit. With four weeks ago is pretty crazy. But hey, Detroit still had a better record in November than the Rams. <laughs> Very nice. Think about that one. So, Sam, should you kick us off with week 13? Sure, why not? So we've got the Cowboys at the Saints, and the Cowboys are four and a half point favorites. I, I, there's a few lines this week that I don't get. I'm going to say that right now. There's a few that genuinely confuse me, and this is one. Like Normally, you would get a line like this, and you might say, well, it's a short week. It's a Thursday night game. They've not had, you know, they don't have time to prepare. Now, both of these play, teams played on Thanksgiving, so they've both had a full week. So there's no excuse in that respect for, for either of them, obviously. But I don't understand having watched both of these teams play last Thursday and over the course of this season. The Saints look terrible. I mean, the Saints look really, really bad. The Cowboys have moments where they're not good. And definitely their defense doesn't look as, it go- as good as it did early in the season. And they still have the injury concerns on offense. But I don't see how, if we can just copy and paste their two perform, you know, how they per- each performed on Thanksgiving. I don't see how this is a close game. So I'm taking the Cowboys to win and the Cowboys to cover. I agree with you completely on that. The only thing I can think of that's causing this shift in the line is the COVID crisis that's currently happening with the Cowboys. Ma- McCarthy, their coach, is out. He's not going to be on the sidelines. And I think five other coaches are also out and won't be there. So over half of their coaching staff is not even going to be at the game. And Amari Cooper, it sounds like, is still going to be out because he's will now have passed the COVID part of his whatever protocol, but they say he doesn't feel well at all and he still feels sick and has a cough and can't breathe very well so he's likely to miss another game so and i think four other players are now missing because of covid so i think that's the reason this spread is the way it is but i agree with you even with that i watching both of these teams many weeks now i think the cowboys are a far superior team and unless Taysom hill can change things dramatically now that i think he's starting qb i i don't see where this is going to go well for the saints and i'll take the cowboys to win and to cover and and frank just to touch on two points there quickly okay mike mccarthy is out i think that should mean that the cowboys should be like two extra points favorites i mean i <laughs> i don't think mike mccarthy be missing is is a is a is a bad thing for the cowboys and Taysom Hill, if he's going to change i mean can he just change everything about himself because that's going to be what's necessary to make this Saints offense look good. Yeah, I I agree with you both. I think, you know, the Saints are on, what, four straight losses. Uh, on the last time out, they were only getting like three three point three yards of play on average. Uh, losing Winston, like everything just feels pretty bad about them at the moment. Even though it feels like a, a pretty must win at the moment to get anywhere near the kind of wildcard pitcher. But yeah, I I just don't. I think Saints have got a terrible offense, and I think the Cowboys can have a very good offense. So I I think it's a pretty easy one for me as well. So I'll take the Cowboys undercover. 
Uh, Cardinals at the Bears, and the Cardinals are seven and a half point favorites. I'll be quick, right? We're assuming Kyler Murray is back. All signs point to yes, in which case, I mean, they've looked all right without him, but, you know, as soon as he's back, if he's reasonably healthy, their offense just looks so good. I just don't see how the Bears can keep pace with them, particularly when they also have their injuries on defense, so the chances of stopping them seem unlikely. Uh, so I'll take the Cardinals to win in the cover. Yeah, the thing for me is like the Bears. The Bears do a do- good job at the moment of seemingly keeping teams like scoring less. Like um, even though they're four and seven against the spread, like the unders have hit like eight times um, through this season. So the Bears do a good job of keeping things low scoring. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean the best score many, but they do keep things low scoring. So I always get a bit. A little bit dicey when I start to things go over a score, but as as you say, Eddie, like the the Cardinals' offense is really good. We're assuming Murray's back. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Murray and Hopkins will be back as well, and I think that's the first time in a while as well. So considering they're both going to be they're both going to be healthy, um, I think they're six and zero on the road as well. So I, I can't really see there being a problem here. So yeah, I'll take the Cardinals. I'm with cover. both of you. I'll take the Cardinals to win to cover. Uh, Kingsbury said he's hopeful that Murray and Hopkins will return, but they're still questionable on the injury report. Fields is also out, so Andy Dalton's going to be starting. I just think after a bye, the Cardinals are going to be ready to go. I don't know. Speaking of Twitter, Sam, did you see Kyler Murray's gif from two days ago? He posted the uh, Thanos sitting down after he had decimated half the population in his little like garden when he sits down there and people were speculating what that means like crazy oh yeah it's what he's ready to so go one was finished? like like what's the, the bye week's over there? and he's finally back you know like he's rested and everything and he's ready to go and the other consensus was maybe it had to do with lincoln riley who like cemented oklahoma as now a powerhouse and is now leaving and kind of just gone and he's you know he did what he had to do there and is moving on probably the more likely one but who knows <laughs> which means he considers lincoln riley thanos which isn't a great <laughs> great way to uh great thing to call your former head coach <laughs> all right next up uh colts at the texans and the colts are nine point favorites so colts um Colts streak ended last time out um can the Texans really do anything? Does nine worry you? No, it doesn't really worry me. The Colts just need to get back to doing what they do, which is run the ball and not rely on Wentz to throw. I think Wentz is a good QB, but they're a better team when they can play off of Taylor and not rely on Wentz. And the Texans have a pretty bad rushing defense. I think they're almost 140 yards a game in a league where a lot of teams don't even rush anymore. So this should be Colts getting back to ground and pound, then let Wentz set up the play action, and they should run up the score on the Texans. So I'll take the Colts to win and to cover here. Yeah, the um, it was interesting. When I was looking at that Colts-Bucks, I was looking at some analysis on it, and what you're saying about Jonathan Taylor is interesting, that actually if they give him a larger workload, the Colts do better, and it's kind of just keep it simple. Just just run it because when they're up 24 14 um there were the first two drives in the third quarter that jonathan taylor received nothing from and they both 
came into interceptions for Tampa. And it's one of those things where it's like, if they're trying to be too creative, it doesn't work. So just stick with what makes you good. And I just feel like now that that's happened, I just think the Colts will go back to the complete basics of why they're winning in the first place, which is just give Jonathan Taylor and the run game a wider workload and ultimately against a Texans team that can't really do much anyway. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Colts and cover. Yeah, I'll be quick. I, I agree. I've got Frank's tactic down to a T now, Eddie. It's basically just to follow what we do because then fundamentally, if he does what we do, he can't. <laughs> if we're all four and 11. <laughs> but also, oh, for this one, that's okay. But also, Frank needs I need to be, to be more aggressive. Than conservative I gotta more than gain just ground now. Keep... I got to get ground yeah. back. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess. He also has to stop the rot. I mean, when you're you know, having weeks where you're, you're getting 30% right, what's the next game? right, what's the next game? right. he <laughs> needs to have. <laughs> Interesting one. It's charges at the Bengals, and the Bengals are three-point favorites. Again, I'm a little bit weirded out by this line because, for me, the Bengals are looking good. Charges aren't looking good. So I think it's a good pick for the Bengals here. Um, not really too much to say on it. I just think the Bengals will win, so I'll take them into cover. This is one where I go back and forth on. I The reason it's minus three is because the Chargers are so hot and cold, hit or miss. They're this year's Vikings, almost, if this year's Vikings weren't still this year's Vikings. <laughs> so the Vikings are still the Vikings, but now there's another team like the Vikings, and that's the Chargers. You just never know what performance you're going to get. Are they going to put up 45 points or are they going to put up 13 points? So if there's a team that can score offensively with the Bengals right now, it could be the Chargers. I mean, Herbert versus Burrow is a, is a great matchup. I worry that this could be one of those, we have to win this. Herbert goes out and puts up 350, four touchdowns. But I have to go with the more consistent team here, which is the Bengals. So I'm going to go with the Bengals to win and to cover i'm i'm not super thrilled about it i mean the thing for me though is the Chargers have given up like 31 points a game over the last like seven weeks and the Bengals in the last couple of games have given up uh have taken five takeaways and only conceded two touchdowns so i don't think the Chargers will score many here like i i that's why i like the three line especially i think that's a bold prediction they might not score many but i think it's a bold prediction to say that they won't uh, I'm going to take the Chargers just on the logic that I don't trust either of these teams. And it's one of my rules, right? If I don't trust either, I take the team that's getting the points. So, so Sam, the over under here is 50 and a half. Would that interest you? Uh, you should be all over think, the under. Well, yeah. I mean, the Chargers have the worst rush defense in the league and then mix and post the kind of yardage he did in the last game. I think, um, Mix in that superstar running back. That was that was a really good non-answer to that question. You did what a good politician does. Frank asked you a question, and you answered a question he didn't ask. But it didn't sound like you didn't not you like failed to answer. He said, right. "Do you love the under?" And you were like, "Mixon's going to have a great game." No, Mixon's and, and even even them. better politician. He well, this knows is the I thing, like, like Joe Mixon, so he plays that card too. So now he thinks he's like appeasing yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, plays for the sympathy. I mean, last and two by games... the way, Frank, nice T-shirt. Wait, what's that the T-shirt? Was, never mind. 
Okay. The fact that that's confused. But I was just in the character of the politician getting out of his question. Throwing in the compliment. Uh, oh, okay. I get it. Uh, do I love the under 50 and a half? I think the Bengals have posted 73 on their own in the last two games. So if I say that that logic continues, they get about 35. Do the Chargers score over like 15? Probably. But <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold on. A second ago, they weren't going to score. Yeah, I said they don't score many. Like 15 isn't many. Well, over 15. I think if he scores 16, then you can't claim you kind of... 17, you say I think, is a cutoff. Is a lot of- two touchdowns no. and a field goal. If you score under 17, you've done poorly offensively. <laughs> Wait, this is a one point. Three sc- These are one point lines. And seven three scores. Years ago. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> but I, I definitely think it this way. If you give up 17 points, you can't walk away from it being like our offense, to, our defense totally stopped them. Like that, unless they are garbage time, you know, you had them at three points until four minutes left in the fourth quarter and they get two touchdowns right at the end. But if you're going to say, I don't think they're going to score. And then you're like, but I think they'll score over 16 points. To me, those are contrasting opinions. Would you give me under 20? I'll give you under 20. I'm just saying, I don't think under 20 is they're not going to score points. Sam, all I asked was, would you take the over or under at 50.5? I think, okay, uh, I think I'd probably take the under. You said you'd take the over. Give us the next game, Sam. Where are you? (laughs) Give us the next game. I don't know. I feel like all all the stuff's getting thrown at me. I'm confused. Uh, Vikings at the Lions. Vikings, seven-point favorites. Can someone explain this line to me? Uh, maybe. The only thing I can think of is that the Lions lost 19-17 to 17 the first time they met this year. So they're thinking it's going to be close again. And Dalvin Cook is out. So, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm going to go Vikings to win and Vikings to cover. I don't get I don't get this line, so I mean Lions have lost four games. Lions have lost four games. Sure, but they're a bad team. I think I can't imagine the Lions winning this game. So a a, a spread that's basically within a score doesn't make sense to me. I can't I can't kind of reconcile those two thoughts. Uh, there's no way I would take the Lions money line, but I love them plus seven. Those that's kind of crazy to me. So yeah, I'm taking the Vikings to win and the Vikings to cover. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I think it's just that worry that when you look at those stats, where like the Lions have you know kind of had four games where it's three points or less loss. I think the last five weeks they've covered the spread four times as well. Now, granted, a couple of those spreads have been like. 13 15 or something like that maybe there's a little bit of that and i was stung by the vikings last time out but i I agree with you i don't think i can in all like in in all reality take a team that's like oh ten and one against what can be a good a really good team so for me the seven's a pretty nice spread actually so yeah uh next up giants at the dolphins and the dolphins are four point favorites I'm a I'm a I'm a Giants believer now, you know. Mr. Duca, if you're listening, you know, I sent a message to Frank last week questioning whether or not you're a real fan. Just 
turning heel on your own team so quickly and and I'm I'm going to I'm going to take the Giants in this. Again, I kind of don't think either of these teams are particularly good and I don't believe that the Dolphins have totally turned this corner and are suddenly the team that they look like at certain moments last year. So, I'm I'm don't think either of them are great. I'll take the points and yeah, I'll take the Giants to win. Yeah. Listen, Mr. Duco is not happy with the Giants' performance last week. Four turnovers and only 13 points. In fact, he wasn't even happy with the defense, which holding them to seven points and four turnovers, it wasn't enough. But their defense is going to give up a little more points here against the Dolphins team. That I, I think the Dolphins are a better offense than the Eagles. The Eagles are very one-dimensional. All they do is run the ball. Tua is better than Jalen Hurts, but the Giants have more playmakers on offense, and if they can finally get them going, they can put up a good amount of points and just hope the defense can continue to get turnovers, and if they can get those points over turnovers, they could start winning some games here. They've looked better recently, minus the Bucks game. You know, They've won, what, three out of their last five and have been competitive in the loss against the Chiefs, so I'll take the Giants here to win. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tricky one this because I think the Dolphins in their kind of like mini resurgence, however you want to call it, um, have done pretty well. You know, last time out against the Panthers, they held them to below two hundred yards. Uh, I think in this kind of streak at the moment, uh, I saw the stat that uh, the Dolphins' defense has got like ten takeaways. It seems pretty good. Two are starting to play a bit better. And then when you look at like the Giants on the road, like they let up about 29 points a game on average. And I, even though it's probably hard to get a read on them, I, I just kind of fancy the Dolphins at the moment, so I'll take them into cover. Uh, speaking of the Eagles, Eagles at the Jets, and the Eagles are six and a half point favorites. This is the game I don't want to see a second of. I don't think the Eagles are particularly good, but I think the Jets are, are obviously really, really bad. So I'll, I'll take the Eagles to win into cover, but I definitely don't want to see any of this game, and I don't really trust them, but they'll be my pick. Same. I, I just find it impossible to pick the Jets, so I'm not going to. So yeah, Eagles in cover. Yep. Jets have uh, another team with a very bad rush defense. Their defense in general just sucks, but their rush defense isn't good at all. And the Eagles will get back to doing what they do best, which is just run the ball down the throat. I'll take Eagles to win it to cover. Bucks are the Falcons, and the Bucks are eleven point favorites. This is a little bit of the concern here. Is obviously just the Bucks are just running out of players in their secondary, and it's a real weakness for them. You saw that last week in the way that the Colts were able to expose that, and that's a Colts team that's obviously more suited to just running the ball. So. It's always slightly worrying to go up against Matt Ryan with a secondary that looks like it could be picked apart, but then that's a sort of image of Matt Ryan that hasn't existed in reality for four or five years. So whilst I am sure that the Falcons will score points here, I will take the Bucks to win into cover. This is tough. It's, it is a lot of points, and... I'm frustrated from last week's pick because 
I had gone against the Falcons last week with my reasoning being that Patterson wasn't going to play and that I would never take the Falcons without Patterson because their offense runs through them. He did play and they did win. And he, I think contributed to two out of the three touchdowns they had. So that was a frustrating being saying that and then still getting it wrong because I didn't think he was going to play. He is going to play here, but even with Patterson, their offense is just nowhere near as good as the Bucks. And the Bucks are four and one against the spread when the line is double digits. So when they are supposed to blow teams out, they do. And the Bucks, well, I think, need to start getting on a roll here and flying into the playoffs. So they're going to keep up this high scoring. And I expect them to put up 35 plus here. So I'll go Bucks to win and to cover. Yeah, I think um I think the Bucks will win. So I'm taking the Bucks money line. But um the the problem is what Eddie mentioned about the secondary is that when you look at the last couple of games, the Bucks are leaking points, even if they are what was it, thirty eight, thirty one. I think the last couple of games they've they've um I think like three of the last four maybe they've they've conceded thirty plus. Um and that's not really to say that the Falcons did an incredible amount against the Jags last time out, right? They beat them fine, but they didn't really do much. Like Matt Ryan was still held below 200 yards passing. Um, Jacksonville still actually like, had more kind of offensive yardage, I think, as well. So it wasn't like the Falcons actually did something incredible against the Jags. But there's still a part of me that just thinks that there's points to be had here against the Bucks. So I... I think even though Atlanta are one and four at home, which is pretty bad, I think I'll take the Bucks to win, but I'll take the Falcons to make it at least somewhat close with points. Uh, next up is the Jaguars at the Rams, and the Rams are 13-point favorites. Um, this line surprised me, but I'm curious what you two think. Uh I mean, yeah, it's kind of surprising. Obviously, the Rams lost every game in November. They don't look particularly good. Stafford looks like he's hurt. His performances have not been good either. I mean, here's a real question. Who do you think won the Stafford trade? Too early to tell. If you offered, if you called the Lions up, if you called the Rams up right now, and you asked them, could you just do that trade over? Could they just get yes, off Yes, they back? absolutely would. No, they would absolutely right. do it. I, I So then... It seems. I mean, McVeigh is still very complimentary of Stafford. It's tough. I mean, you, you're, you're just going to have to wait and see. Oh, what you're they saying make the playoffs. Wait, you're saying they would do the trade again? Yes, I think McVeigh absolutely hated golf. Okay, my take Stafford. My question was again. okay. My question was if if the Lions called up and said, "We'll trade you golf for Stafford now," as in the Rams get golf back. Would the Rams just take it? No. Um, I don't think so. I think it was working, you know, kind of before this month. What, like or three games? November, <laughs> it was working. Well, it's like, I don't know. They were, what, arguably Super Bowl. Well, they were, argu- they were Super Bowl favorites at one point before they went into November. Yeah, right? but I mean, they're still seven and four. They've won seven games. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I mean, but yeah. I think they will sort of fix some of the issues over time. Um, and the Jags are bad. I mean, the Jags just aren't a good team. So I'll take the Rams to win into cover, but it wouldn't. St- I'd be very su- surprised if the Rams lost. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams won by eight points and didn't cover this. 
but I can't see them losing and it feels like it could be a blowout and and it also this feels like that game where the Rams win 40 to 6 and then we have a week of everyone talking about how they've solved their problems and they look like a juggernaut again yeah I mean Stafford's still second in the league in QBR so he's having a good year way better than Goff Goff's not even in the top 25 so <laughs> he's actually 30th. So I don't know if they'd ever want that trade back. Um, but yeah, it, it is worrying. So they've obviously lost their last three and they haven't covered in their last five versus Jacksonville is two and zero, being a double digit underdog. Having said all of that, this seems like a great bouncing point for the Rams to get back on track. And I do expect that. 40 to 10 blowout, whatever you said it would be. So I'm going to go Rams to win and Rams to cover. Yeah, I think it has to be a, a kind of big blowout win for them. I think, I think they have to restart and get that momentum because when you look at their running now, they've got after the Jags, it's the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Ravens and the 49ers. So yeah, it's kind of in their own destiny, at least kind of like for the wild card aspect of it. But they've got three divisional games. Okay, the Seahawks one is a bit easier, but three divisional games coming up um, and they need that win. And this has to be the one where they do it. It's the easiest game they've got. So yeah, I, I kind of fully expect a big, a big win here as well. Uh, interesting game. Uh, Washington at the Raiders and the Raiders are two and a half point favorites. So two teams kind of on the uptick at the moment. Any, any leanings? No, I... I am not sold on Washington. They squeaked by just a Seattle team that is in complete disarray. They looked awful on Monday night. The Raiders have much more talent. Maybe they don't have the coaching right now. Who knows? Maybe they have better coaching than they had to start the year. But just overall, the Raiders are a better team on both sides of the ball. So I will take the Raiders to win here and to cover. Yeah, I'll... I'll... Totally agree with you. I don't. Um, I don't really see a lot to like about this Washington team, and you can be fooled. I think they've had a couple of good performances, but I mean that they looked atrocious on Monday. It's just that the Seahawks were. I mean, when you look at the fact that they between them had uh, what was it, eight consecutive punts? I think seven consecutive punts. I mean, that's it's just the incompetence of the Seahawks that kind of kept kept Washington in that one. So. I don't think the Raiders are good, and I don't think this is a recovery for them either. But they have talent; they're a legitimately talented team. I think they'll win this one and cover. I got a feeling. <laughs> this is the Sam Jones. I got a feeling game, and I got a feeling on Washington. Like, I agree with you. Like. Washington weren't great and Seattle just looked terrible. It's why Washington won that game. But if you're going to ride that kind of hot hand that Washington have here at the moment of kind of winning three and looking into some of the stats of it, right? The last four opponents, they've restricted them to below 300 yards and 21 points. Now, they haven't played that many great teams, fine. But they, they haven't let up more than 21 points in all four of those games. They're doing something better. They're on the they're on the field more like against Seattle. They're on the field for forty two minutes. They had the sorry they had possession for forty two minutes. 
they were on the field for all of it. But I um, actually don't know if they were on the field for, for all of that game, Sam, because I watched it and <laughs> I think at certain <laughs> moments, I don't know if anyone was really on the field for long chunks of that one. It's not a great team beating a pretty terrible team. Like that's how I see it. But I, I just think there's something with this Washington team that has some statistical stuff to back it up. And yeah, okay, same same with the the offense that the Raiders produced. What is it like five hundred five hundred odd yards uh, last time out? But I don't know. I, I think Washington are doing something at the moment. I think momentum's going well with them. So I'll take Washington and the points. Uh, Ravens at the Steelers, and the Ravens are four-point favorites. Don't really get this one either. I mean, the Steelers just look awful. And, uh, and yeah, I'll take the Ravens to win and the Ravens to cover. I mean, the Ravens haven't looked good recently. Lamar still has this mystery illness. Yes, in some respects, I'm going to like not be quick here. Yes, in some respects, it would be very Steelers of the Steelers to win this one and for Tomlin to win it, win this one and kind of put themselves right back into the playoff picture and put him back into having an, the possibility of the record, a better than 500 record. But I, I just can't see it. Roethlisberger looks so bad. So I'll take the, I'll take the Ravens. Eddie, welcome to the dark side. You're right. The Steelers are awful. The Steelers are who I thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. Shit. (laughs) The only reason I think this spread is three was just how poor Lamar Jackson played. And he will not follow that up with another poor performance. So I expect the same beat down on the Steelers as they got last week by the Bengals. And they'll be last in their division, just like I said, to start the year. Because they're shit. That means Ravens to win and to cover. Got it. Um, yeah, when I saw the stat, I, I, I thought the line was weird when you just kind of look at it um, at face value. And then when you look at the stats behind the Steelers, like last month uh, in all their games, they gave over 180 yards rushing. And what do the Ravens do? They rush well. So even an indifferent Ravens team will post big yards rushing against the Steelers um, defense at the moment. So yeah, I'm taking the Ravens into cover. Uh, 49ers at the Seahawks. This is a weird one as well. The three and a half point line. So I'm going to keep it simple. Um, the three and a half points is an absolute gimme in my opinion. So yeah, I'm taking I it. don't. This is of all the lines that confuse me the most and don't accuse me of just being a Niners home homer or a fanboy or whatever. I don't. I do not get this. I don't get watching either of these teams over the past three or four weeks and thinking that this is in any way a close game. The Seahawks, the Seahawks look awful russell wilson looks awful their defense looks awful their offense looks awful and the niners look as if they are starting to find form as we discussed in the last episode they've got their identity now they will just run the ball down teams throats i just i i don't get it i i would take the niners as eight point favorites in this so yeah i just genuinely don't get it so niners to win and niners to cover yeah, I mean, Seahawks were another team I said would finish last in their division. They have looked terrible this year. And the only reason I can maybe see this isn't six, seven, is one, you're at Seattle. So people think that has a major swing with the 12th man or whatever, which I don't see it. And two, Debo Samuel's out. And he is probably the heart of the Niners offense right now. Um, 
pretty much everything is running through him. Even with that, the Niners are a substantially better team right now. I hate to say that, but it's true. Niners to win, Niners to cover. And you're prepared, right? You're going to see the Niners in the playoffs now. Eh. <laughs> you're going to see them in the playoffs. We'll see. I mean, I hope so. It was my prediction, but this year they didn't make the playoffs, but we'll see. All right. Two games left. Uh, first up, Broncos at the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are 10-point favorites. Yeah, I'll be. I think that the Chiefs are starting to look kind of like their former selves, their offenses at least, doing things. The Broncos produce these weird performances every once in a while that fool people into thinking them thinking that they're halfway decent, but they're not a good team. So, yes, I know that statistically recently the Chiefs' defenses looked all right. I still don't trust them. That's always the big concern. But I'll take the Chiefs to win and to cover. Yeah, like not only do the Chiefs look kind of back to themselves, maybe less offensively, but at least they've stopped the rot defensively, right? They're not posting, you know, they're not giving away as many yardage. Uh, teams aren't scoring as freely against them. And the thing with the Broncos is that this kind of mid-season revival, I guess, to put them back over 500 is interesting, but I agree with you. I think it's a bit of a false one, right? The 30 points against the Eagles was pretty bad. You look at the rest and yeah, they've kept them low. They've ran the ball well. Bridgewater's looked like he had the leg injury, but it looks absolutely fine now. It looks like he's going to play. So you could you could be tempted maybe to take the Broncos with the with the 10 because of the way the Chiefs can play. But the thing is, the Chiefs look consistent at the moment. So yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs under cover. I'm going to deviate slightly here. I will take the Chiefs to win, but I will take the Broncos to cover just because to me, the Chiefs have looked good, but not great. They're still not the Chiefs of last year. They put up 19 against Dallas, you know, 13 against Green Bay, 20 against the Giants. Those aren't huge numbers and got demolished by the Titans the week before that. So besides that 41 points against Vegas, their last five games, they're averaging under 20 points. So the Broncos are, are a good defense. I'll give them the credit that they are a good defense. They shut down Herbert pretty well, forced some turnovers. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a few turnovers this game because that's what the Chiefs have been doing this year. So it should be enough to keep it close. 10 is, 10 is close, but not that close. So I'll, I'll go with the points for the Broncos there. And... Um... Last but probably game of the game of the week um, is the Patriots at the Bills, and the Bills are two and a half. Frank, you can go last because we know who you're taking. We know you're taking the Bills. We know you don't believe in the Patriots. I mean, we can save you for the end because your your pick is going to surprise no one. I am going to take the Bills this time, and this is a case of I'm letting the the Patriots potentially fool me once because this is their first real test. And if they come out of this and they are good, then I think that they're seriously good. And I will take them to beat the Bills when they play again in a couple of weeks. In the case of the Bills, this is a fool me twice. As I picked them against the Colts, got absolutely blown out. And I'm trusting that that was not the true reflection of who they are and that they will go into this game. It's obviously very significant for the AFC East. And... I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Bills. I don't love it. I don't totally trust them, 
this is a good game to watch. I think this is a stay away game for anyone out there. I think if you have a strong opinion on this, you're insane. But I will see what happens and hope for a good Monday night game. This is not a stay away game. This is an all in game. You put everything you have in your bank account <laughs> on the bills to cover this spread. You can give me minus 10 and I would put my house on this game. No. See, the thing that's really? annoying, if, I mean, the thing that's annoying about this anyway, though, is let's at best call it a coin toss. That means that you've got a 50% chance of kind of being right, Frank. And then as long as that outcome happens to be correct, you'll then say that justified that level of pregame confidence. I am very confident in this game. The Bills are a much better team. I am nervous for one thing, and that's Tredavious White has been is out for the year now. And he is their best defensive player. So losing your best defensive player in a cornerback position, which is, you know, obviously a, a tough position to find good replacements. That's a big loss for the Bills, but they are a, a better team. And when their offense clicks, I don't care who's coaching that defense and let Belichick try, but Allen's going to put up 40 against them and it's going to be a blowout all the way back to Buffalo. I'm. I'm taking the Patriots. And the reason I'm going for the Patriots, I, I just think, okay, the last six games, I think they've won by an average of like 25 points. You've got some blowout wins in there as well against pretty bad teams. But it's actually the defense that I think is going to win them this game. You look at the streak that they're on at the moment and over the over the wins, they've got 17 takeaways. Uh, only one team has managed over 20 points, which is still pretty good. Like, I... The Bills for me, okay, they they um, beat a pretty poor Saints team. What was it, thirty one six? But I think the inconsistency over November against the consistency of what the Patriots did leads me to believe that I think the Patriots are a better team at the moment. It doesn't mean generally they are a better team, but I think at the moment they are a better team, and I think d the defense will win them this game. So I'm going with the Patriots. Now, Eddie, real quick before we move on from the NFL, we said that there's four weeks left in the year, and if you were to play the playoffs starting next week, your Niners, as you say, would be in the playoffs. They'd be the number six seed facing the number three seed, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How do you feel about that matchup? Mm, it's obviously not a great one. Because you, you got to worry about this Bucks team in the playoffs because, as we saw last year, they can turn it on. they got so much experience. Certainly, they're never the moment is never going to be too big for a large chunk of their team. Also, the Niners aren't necessarily built to expose their current weakness, which is that secondary. So, not an ideal matchup. But <laughs> I like the way you said that. <laughs> but... I'd give I'd give the Niners a, a with a with a, obviously things could change between now and the end of the season. If you told me the Niners were playing the Bucks next week, I would feel like they had a pretty good chance of winning that game. So if the playoffs were starting next week and that's the matchup, I would obviously make the Bucks favorites, but I wouldn't go into it thinking, oh, there's kind of no way the Niners win this. Yeah, the NFC actually. So you have the Packers versus Washington. That's pretty boring that would be a boring one and then you have dallas versus the rams which would be a, a really interesting matchup if both teams were d 
decently healthy and you, yeah. the, the players who should be playing would be playing. That would be an interesting matchup to watch. The AFC yields some interesting ones. It would be the Patriots at the two seed versus the Chargers. And that is an interesting one because that is a game that the Chargers could somehow, you know, pull that magic and upset the Patriots. Or the Patriots just absolutely dominate Herbert with, you know, shutting down the best player yeah, in the team kind of Belichick move. Yeah, I would make the Patriots favorites at the moment for that one. Yeah. But yeah, so much is going to change, right? I mean, when I say the Niners are, are going to make the playoffs, it's because their schedule the rest of the way is pretty... I, I'm assuming they beat the Seahawks this week. I think they, they've got an all right chance against the Bengals the following week. I think they beat the Falcons the next week. I think they beat the Titans the next week. I think they beat the Texans the next week. And then who knows what the situation will be with the Rams final week of the season. So if I'm predicting to win four more games... I'm not only saying they're making the playoffs. I think they're probably not even their their seed. They're going to be higher ranked than you know. They might be the five seed. I think they're a home game. Um, no, they can't be. Yeah, they can't be. Well, they could because no, they well they can't. could. They could win their division. They're still. Not, get out of here. <laughs> now they're going to beat. Why the can't Cardinals? they win the division? Uh, who knows? Let's see what. Let's see Kyler Murray come back. Let's see Kyler Murray. Doesn't need back. to. They've only lost one game without him. Well, they had a bye, that, so that's a little bit misleading. But I mean, they're three games back of the cards. Yeah, but the Cardinals have more losable games in that run. You know, like if if Murray doesn't come back, this is the big question. Like if Murray doesn't come back, or if he's not super healthy, they play. They still play the Rams, which we'll put it in the same situation the Niners, but they still play the Colts and the Cowboys. If Kyler Murray isn't one hundred percent, I think they could lose both of those, and then. You know, if 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 Murray, for example, doesn't play this weekend, I think they could lose to the Bears. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's not absolutely certain that they wouldn't. But look, I agree with you. They probably are not going to win the division. I don't want to make it sound as if I think they, they will. But there's a possibility the Niners run the slate. I don't think it's inconceivable that the Cardinals could lose three games. Now, I guess they need to lose four because they have the the edge and the head to head. So actually, I take it back. I don't think the Niners could win the division. <laughs> good way to work good through that in real time <laughs> hold on let me let me just prepare it so i can edit all of that out no i don't think the niners will win the division but they're gonna make the playoffs so i have a european football quiz game we can play in a minute but i think we should also mention college football which is going into the um conference championship games and you had last week the big upset of Michigan beating Ohio State. And right now, the way the playoff stands, it is Georgia the one seed, Michigan the two seed, Alabama the three seed, and Cincinnati the four seed. And then first ones out right now are Oklahoma State at five and Notre Dame at six. I mention this because for me, I don't know if you've been following – but Brian Kelly, who's the coach of Notre Dame, has now left Notre Dame to go coach at LSU. And I understand you have to take positions when they become available for chance of missing out on them. But he's in a scenario where he is only two out of making the playoffs with the high possibility that Alabama loses to Georgia and gets knocked down below them and opens up at least one spot 
And then all you need to have happen is either Cincinnati to slip up or Michigan to slip up and you could potentially move your way and Oklahoma state, even if they don't win, then you would automatically slide into fifth. So there's a very decent chance, not likely, but there is a decent chance that Notre Dame could make the final four. Is that a risky move to potentially throw away a chance at a national championship to go coach another team? <laughs> were you just was this were you just trying to out monologue me here? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, the, it's, it's a lot to work in, I guess. You know, um, I I wouldn't. I think as a coach, I'm always whenever a coach changes jobs mid season, I think it's such in any sport and in basically almost any situation. I think it is such a dangerous move because I think so much, and I think back to my own experience as a player, I think so much of getting, being receptive to your coaches is this feeling of mutual loyalty. And they kind of have to instill that in you in that I need you to give me everything you have because I'm here for you. I want what's best for you. I'm here to make sure that we as a team succeed as much as possible in the best way possible. And as soon as you have it on your track record as a coach or a manager of mid-season saying, oh, look at that shiny object over there. <laughs> hey guys, this was fun and you really helped me climb the career ladder a bit, but that's a really good opportunity. I'm going to go and take it. I think as soon as you sow that seed within players that they can look at you and say, hey, you're asking me to run through a brick wall and you're saying you would for me, but history shows us you really wouldn't. If a better opportunity comes along, you're gone. So why shouldn't I be the same way? I think in particular in college sports where you're recruiting players, you're convincing them that you're going to be there for three years. They should be there for three years. You're going to build their careers together. I think it's super dangerous. For that reason, I wouldn't have done it mid-season in particular because I, I think he owes it to his players to be there for these final three games. Well, I mean, it's if, such a blow if he doesn't make the playoffs. I mean, so it's I, just a bowl game, and at sure, that point, a bowl but, game really is just a, a victory game. I mean, you have a majority of players that don't even play bowl games anymore. Yeah, but but there's no benefit to him going to LSU now, unless unless it's, that someone else takes the job. Wait, do you know what? If if you're, I mean, I know it's a ton of money, right? You got like a hundred million dollars or whatever. It's a lot of money and things. If someone tells you they really, really want you, but they won't wait, wait, what, three weeks for you to sign, they don't want you that badly. So if you're that if you're that worried that the opportunity is going to go away, that you couldn't have said to LSU, like, look, I really want this job. I will. We can sign a pre-contract if you want. I will go there. Let's try and keep this under wraps if possible because I don't want it to come out that I've signed a pre-contract and I'm coaching because probably – Notre Dame would have turned around anyway then and said, we don't want a guy coaching us in a bowl game who's already signed a contract somewhere else. Like there's probably two, you know, opinions going at play there. But if they won't wait for you, don't, don't do it. Is this just high profile or does it happen quite a lot? You know, kind of like at this time of the season or like, kind of swapping over it, it happens a little bit profile. once you get to the bowl games because i think the the reasoning is the bowl game doesn't mean much it's kind of just you've earned this extra game and at the same time 
some of the transfer portals open up and then you still have a last chance to do some recruiting. So at that point, your season's over, you can't win the national championship. And although maybe you can win the Alamo bowl, you kind of just want to move on and, and get a head start at your other position. It, it, it's, it's also worth noting too, players check out before bowl games too. I would yeah. So you'll have players who say, now than, than before, yeah. I'm, I'm going to the NFL. I'm not going to risk my future to play in this meaningless bowl game. Like, and so I can under, I, I get you there, Frank. Like, if he was like Lincoln Riley, so, so the other major one, sorry to cut you off, but Lincoln Riley, the coach of Oklahoma, he then has now taken the job at USC, but Oklahoma is good and done in the water for making a national championship. They're, they're out. They, there's no way they can make it. So in that scenario, I think it's, I don't find it as crazy of a move because he just wants to move on. He, you know, you get the, your coaches can maybe get a head start on, building some morale and some some team camaraderie for next season you know if that's going to be your your head coach is going to be the interim maybe but uh, just the brian kelly aspect of it when you're still that close to being in a national championship potentially it's i don't see it no i don't either i don't get it i don't get why it would be and then also the lincoln riley one right his contract was even more insane to go to usc i don't know if you saw the details of that but He's got $100 million guaranteed, plus they bought his two houses in Oklahoma for $500,000 over their asking price, plus they gave him, gave him unlimited 24-7 access to a private jet for he, for both him and his family. That's and amazing. They're gonna buy, and they're going to spend $6 million on his house in LA. Wow. I mean, that is just an insane. When I first read that, I read it on Twitter at first, I thought it was satire. Like, you know, like what a crazy contract offer has been given. I thought they were making this up. And for that to be the true deal, it's just mind blowing. We're going to get the, uh, instead of Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury at the NFL draft picture of him in his house, we're going to get uh, Lincoln Riley on National Recruiting Day in his mansion overlooking some beautiful landscape. <laughs> in fairness, I don't know if $6 million in LA gets you a mansion. But it, it gets you a nice house. It gets you but maybe a house with an infinity pool. <laughs> the 24-7 private jet access is almost the most insane part of that to me. I don't know if they, when they say unlimited 24-7 access to a private jet, if it's kind of like, hey, we all know this is not unlimited. Like, you're... You know, your wife can't decide she wants a Philly cheesesteak tomorrow and just hops in the private jet to get one at her favorite place in, in Philadelphia and then just flies back. But maybe maybe you have access to it, but it can't but it's ground. Oh, you can just go they didn't say you could fly anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you just go in and sit yeah, in does it. But does grounded mean it can still drive around? <laughs> so it just no, drives around just, the Starbuck. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you could taxi. Yeah, you could just on, taxi on, on the back. <laughs> so yeah, that this should be an interesting week in college football, uh, and I think most will play to to script here, but I wouldn't be shocked if you know Oklahoma State loses and there is that scenario where Notre Dame maybe could have moved in, but we'll see. I saw this was the first time in 72 games that Alabama has been an underdog. Wow. In the in in odds in Vegas. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean considering they've been to 
you know, it's not as if they've been missing out on big games or the playoffs or national championship games, and they've played against good teams there. It kind of surprises me almost because I would have thought sometimes in their matchups, whether that be, but I guess, for example, sometimes they've dodged where they probably would have been the underdog. Like they lost to Ohio State and then didn't play LSU, uh, Clemson, uh, LSU, right? They probably would have been the underdog that year, but yeah. then they lost when they were favorites. Yeah. And, and they're underdogs. It's six and a half. I mean, they are pushing a touchdown as underdogs. That's, you know, going from not being an underdog to being a touchdown. The craziest stat to me still, though, is Georgia is allowing under a touchdown a game this season, 6.9 points a game in college football is freaking insane. <laughs> that's that's mind-blowing to me in college football. All right, Frank. Quiz us. All right. So I know, or at least I figured and confirmed, that neither of you would be avid readers of ESPN's soccer homepage. And every year now for the past six years, ESPN has done its annual ranking of the best men's players in the world of soccer. I'm sorry, boys, but they call it soccer on the ESPN page. So this is their FC 100, as they like to call it. Now, I'll just give you how the lists were made. I'm just going to read it from what they say. So this is during the October international break, 77 ESPN experts around the world from editors to writers, TV talent, and former players made selections from a list of more than 300 players. If they wanted a name that wasn't there, they had the option to also write that in. Now, this is simply not a best players in the world mega list. The aim is to isolate specific areas of the pitch so comparisons can be made between those with similar roles. So each voter submitted 10 individual ballots from which they crunched the numbers ahead of a final review by select writers and editors. That's a long-winded way of saying, let's In, pick the world's best. By, posi- by position. <laughs> yes. But it's not... By it's, position. Yeah, okay. All right. So we'll start with... the. What I wanted to see was, can you maybe pick the top three? In each category. Well, let's see if we can pick like the top one. Okay, let's see if you can guess the, what they think is the one. Okay. Yeah, I think top three, that's 33 names. That might take us a while, okay. I think. But if you just rap, kind of wrap and fire a little bit. But okay. Uh, again, this is ESPN's FC 100 for 2021. So it is how just this year. It's what have you done for me lately? They make a point of saying that. Okay, goalkeeper. I would say Donnarumma probably gets it. Damn it. Donnarumma yeah, is number two. Well. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe, oh. Um, uh, name is now escaping me. The Chelsea keeper. Mendy. Mendy. No. Mendy is seven. Wow, that's... What about someone obvious like Neuer? Neuer's three. Daniel Neuer. Because he's, he's still had a good... Uh, don't tell me it's De Gea. No. I'm pretty sure De Gea is okay. not on this list. Oh, Allison? No, um, Allison I think was like five. Yep. Ederson? Ederson was four or six. <laughs> six. What about... Um, um, All Black. There we all go. Black. Oh, that's uh, such a like... 
He is number one. Whoa, he's one. That's such a that's such a like I'm trying to be interesting with my pick. If it you know, yeah. That's a look, trendy. Look how pick. much I know. I've picked All Black as the best goalkeeper in the world. For sure, I'm going Donnarumma. Well, not for sure, but I I think the fact that you and I straight out. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's too much placing too much emphasis on the Euros, but so he also had a good club season. Their one-liner for the scouting report, I mean, they have more, but the the top one is, in contrast to the trend of sweeper-keeper, the Slovenian international is all about the bread and butter of goalkeeping, stopping goals. (laughs) That reminds me, I I once, when when I was 13, we went on a trip with our football team on a away trip and both of our we had two keepers on the trip and actually we had three one got suspended and one got injured pre-match and then one got injured during the first half and at halftime i thought i was having my best match of the season and at halftime we had to sub the keeper off and our head coach came over and said, like, Eddie, I'm really sorry, but we're going to put you in goal. We think you're the best option for us. And we were 2-1 down at the time. And uh, I was like, I've, I've not been a keeper since I was a really little kid. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And he was like, don't worry, it's easy. Go over and see the coach who handles the goalkeepers. He'll give you some useful advice. I walked over. He gave me gloves and stuff. And, and I was like, I... What tips have you got? And he was like, ah, oh, it's really pretty simple. All you got to do is stop the ball from going in the net. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Sent me on my way. Did you win? I only conceded Wise one. Words. In, no, we lost, but I, we only I, we lost three, two. I only conceded one in the second half. So but had you not conceded it, you would have, have drew. I mean, yes, technically, yes. <laughs> but I didn't have... <laughs> had you not heeded the advice, though, you maybe had, had we not conceded two in the first half, we would have won. <laughs> So spin it that way. All right, ready for the next position? Right back. Sure. This is such a tough one. Um, Reese James. Reese James, good guess. Number four. Trent Alexander Arnold. Ooh, Trent Alexander Arnold is number two. Kyle Walker. What about Kyle Walker is number five. <laughs> Pavard? Uh, I did not Pavard? see Pavard on here. Oh, he's number 10. Still missing number one. Plays for PSG. Yeah, I thought I'm... Oh. Oh. Um... Hakimi. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So far, not so good. <laughs> Center back. So we have two, I guess. Or are we just picking the number one? Um, uh, well, this is a tough thing with the year because I would say Van Dyke, but then he was pretty much injured the whole entire time, so he can't really be on the list. He was number 10 last year. He was ranked the year before he was ranked number one. Uh, Laporte. And no. Is this just 
Sorry, so this is the year they've had as a footballer, yes. so club and club country. and country. Just yes. to just to make sure we're getting this correct. Benucci, uh, Benucci. I'm gonna go with um, Chiellini. Yeah, Chiellini is three. Benucci. That's and Benucci is nine. <laughs> like... <laughs> all right, I think we've had too many guesses. Give us a center back. That's where it's going to be here all day. Ruben Diaz. Okay, so okay, that seems a little high, but okay. Okay. All right, left back. Alfonso Davies. Number two. Very close. Uh... You know what? I'm just going to pick the whole Italian lineup now. What do you call him? Number four. Uh, Spinazzola. 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 <laughs> I can't remember his name. Uh, Who is there? Who's a lip- Plays for a Premier League know. team. Plays for Premier And oh, no, he's number 10. Oh, and UK sure. national it's team. Well, not UK. Andy sorry. Robertson. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Wait, did you no, just say he plays for the UK yeah. national team? <laughs> oh. I mean, he would be in the Great Britain Olympic squad, away. right? Yeah. If we Andy actually Robertson. put them together. Yeah. Okay, central midfield. Oh, I'm not sure. Um, Verratti? Who? Verratti? Number five. This one I think you can get. Uh, Jorginho? I guess number three in Ballon d'Or kind of feels. No. Kante? Yes. There we go. Got one. And Kimmich was number two. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. There you go. You've, you got back on track. Attacking midfield. Central, this is. Listen. Then I guess. Attacking you got wingers. midfield. <laughs> so they could. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's a central. Um, um, I mean, it's difficult how you classify whether or not uh, Kevin De Bruyne. But I mean, number one, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Number two, I would have gone Bruno Fernandez. Fernandez. Yeah, wow. maybe Premier a little League. bit of a Premier League bias Premier. for this, but yeah. and Moller is number three. Hmm. All right, winger. Uh, Chiesa. Chiesa's number two. Messi. Messi's not on the on in this category. <laughs> okay, so they've like got him as a nine. striker or forward, I guess. Or what um, I don't know what they're doing. Um when in doubt, by and out, I'll go Nabry. Number four. Uh you are right that there is a Premier League bias. Sterling. Sterling's number three. Sterling. This person was also ranked number one last year. Sadio, Sadio Mane. Yes. That's probably fair. Okay. Forward. Lewandowski. Now, hold on. I want to say something here. There's a forward category and there's a striker category. Okay. So Messi. Uh, Messi, so number one. You wanted to and guess number two? Messi. Yeah. Um, uh, s- yeah, maybe so. Number four. Ronaldo's oh, number oh, two. It's good. Ronaldo. It's, it's <laughs> dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> and Mbappe is number three. <laughs> oh, Mbappe's not a, f- a forward. No, Mbappe's a forward. That's... This is the forward he's a... category. He's not a striker. Oh, behind. 
Okay, no, I still think that's kind of insulting to Mbappe, but I don't think Mbappe would agree with that assessment, but sure. Yeah, mess, what they have is Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, Salah, Oh, Messi. Neymar. All right, last one. The striker. Yeah, it's Lewandowski. Lewandowski. Yes, Lewandowski. Lewandowski. You want to guess who number two is? Ooh, Lukaku? Ooh. No, he's number four. Yes, yeah. Holland is number two. Holland. Yeah, yeah. Where's Kane? Because until four months ago, I he's would have number said he five. Was probably in the, very in high the striker list. list. But... Yeah, with number I, I three think, being yeah. Benzema, but I don't know if they're going to have to replace oh, that's that because insane. he's going to be in jail. <laughs> well, he's not though. A suspended sentence or whatever it is. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Benzema is number three ahead of Lukaku and Harry Kane. Yeah. Do you want to guess the manager? Mancini's number three. Mancini? Guardiola? Guardiola's number two. This person uh, was not ranked last year. That's a big hint. Thomas yes. Thomas Tuchel? Yeah. Oh. Would you take him over Pep as your manager? No. <laughs> no. But, I mean, I know that not, that's not a knock on him. I just don't like him as much as a person. He seems like an asshole. So, and also but I. But that's I, a knock on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a knock on his <laughs> managerial abilities. The fact I wouldn't take him isn't a knock on him. The fact he's a prick is. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think, plus I just think, you know, best case scenario, he's kind of an anti-football. He's more into stopping good teams when they play against good teams, stopping good teams from doing what they do best. Whereas Guardiola is much more in the mindset of we will be too good to be stopped. Let's go and do what we do really well. And from a spectator's perspective, that's always more enjoyable than watching someone who is more interested. And there's maybe more skill in being a manager who sets their stall out to stop, to take things away from other teams. That's probably actually more difficult but I'd rather watch someone who just puts a system in place and then go and be, you know, creative and expressive. Yeah, it's a hell of a turnaround, though, because you think, when, when was he sacked by PSG? Was it, it was early just January before Christmas. December? Like, okay, so he's had a hell of a 2021 because obviously yeah. 2020 wasn't so great. Okay. Riding I Thought we did pretty well there. Like, I know it's kind of obvious when you think about the I don't know if we did well. We did okay. You, you recovered in the easier positions towards the end. Yeah, we didn't do very well with the with the back four. Yeah, which I guess is always probably the most controversial one, right? Because it's it's harder to have a straight kind of statistic to say they're the best. You know, like you can say Lewandowski is the best because he's putting up yeah. a shit ton of goals. You know, but it's tough to have that direct statistic. I know there are there, but no, no, for sure. It's, it's, it's how you play them, right? Yes. Whether left back, wing back, it, it really depends how you want to deploy a right back and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Do you want the best defensive fullback in the world or do you want 
Trent Alexander-Arnold, who isn't as defensively sound, but creates a ton of chances and gets forward really well and creates all sorts of problems for the opposition. That's another one. How do you assess that? You know? But yeah. Interesting list. Does seem to be a slight Premier League bias, which, I mean, I think the Premier League is the best league in the world, so I'm not necessarily complaining about that, but maybe a slight Premier League bias there. Yeah, the Premier League had 41 representatives, and next was La Liga with 21. Yeah, probably a little bit of a slight on the Bundesliga there. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up. Talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.